Ladies and gentlemen, children of all ages, welcome to the greatest podcast show on earth. Hi, everybody. You're listening to Slapstick Conversations on Clowning with your host, Gunky, and his lovable sidekick, Jazzy. Yes, I'm here. Yeah, that's it's you. me. Yeah, thanks for being awake, Jazz. <laughs> a little, <laughs> little quicker next time, okay? Okay. Yeah, uh, sorry. Yeah, I'm here. Well, if you joined us on the last segment, we had uh, an interview with Brian Ivory and Alicia Turner from Mott Campus Clowns. And it was suggested by one of our listeners. It's Dave Michaels. Dave Michaels. Yep. He suggested we talk to the Mott Campus Clowns and find out about their college program where they train clowns. So now you're here and you're listening to segment two of that interview. And during this segment, we're going to talk about uh, who writes and how do they write the material for their anti-bullying clown show. We're going to talk um, just about their costuming process, which is very interesting. I love talking to them about that. And um, it's amazing where they come up with those costumes, too. Yes, it is. Yeah, and how many they have. <laughs> I'm jealous. Uh, me, too. <laughs> and we're also, also, oh, go, go ahead. ahead. No, go ahead. No, go no ahead. you go ahead. No, oh, if you insist. Aw. <laughs> uh, we talk about character development and fake voices <laughs> make sure you listen kids okay <laughs> and why maybe we shouldn't use them oh, oh <laughs> right gunky oh, oh. i'm sorry let me rewind that and we talk about fake voices and whether to use them or not <laughs> much better was that good all right good. awesome and we also um do dive into addressing um how they handle kids that might have the fear of clowns, which is cholerophobia. Say that three times real fast. Cholerophobia, cholerophobia, cholerophobia. <laughs> <laughs> All right, before we take up any more of your time, we want to get right to the interview. This is segment two of our interview with Mott Campus Clowns, Brian Ivory, who started the program, and his assistant, Alicia Turner. We joined that interview already in progress. <laughs> so how do you come up with the the material that you present in that show? Well, I went on a road trip with my wife and I work a lot. So I asked her permission. It was about a two week road trip. Do you mind if I work on the script for my new show, which was called Turning Frowns Upside Down One Smile at a Time? And she was okay with it. So every day I spent a couple hours working on the script for the show, which is the educational part of the show, Turning Frowns Upside Down, one smile at a time. Smile is an acronym for the five action steps that students can take. From that standpoint, there's an educational writing for the show. And then there's a skit writing part of the show. And I'm going to give Tinkers the opportunity to talk about how we received a Jack in the Box from Georgia Morris. And I looked at Tinkers and said, okay, write a script. And she'll tell you how she went about uh, writing the script for that routine that's in our show. Yeah, um, we we are very fortunate to have um, excellent support uh, system with the Mock Campus Clowns. And Georgia and Harold Morris happened to be 
a, a pinnacle part of that. They are the ones that help us with our costume fitting, as we mentioned before. Um, they're always uh, there if we have any questions about certain things, um, but they also have provided us with many props. And uh, every time we turn around, they they mention, oh, hey, we got another one. We think you should try this one out. And so they'll give us something new. And of course we are ready and able to try to provide um, uh, as much um, as we can, as far as effort goes to making these the best that we can. Um, so we, we kind of started with them with an idea about what we wanted to do with the Jack in the Box. And, and I think <laughs> Dr. Bubby gives me credit, but he, he definitely uh, started us on the ground running with it because um, he wrote what he felt was necessary for the shell of the script and how we were going to execute it. And from there, um, it was all trial and error, really. Um, most of the time, Dr. Dr. Bubby will take the, the skit that's at hand and he will write out what he wants done with it and then we develop it as it goes so over semesters and over us having different sets of students take over this specific you know skill of whatever it is they will put their own twist to it and we'll find out what works and what doesn't work so particular to the jack-in-the-box um, i started with uh, a couple of, of fresh clowns very fresh clowns that were eager and, and ready to take on a very um difficult skit. It's not one that's very short. Um, it's a lot of physical work and so it involves three people and I started with them. We tweaked things here and there. Um, I asked them what they thought their perspective was. We worked on their execution. It's a lot of slapstick. So um, I think we just do a trial and error part of our development and try to make sure that we perform to the best of our abilities every single time and we make sure that the students understand that each time as well and so for us uh, I think the jack-in-the-box has probably changed four or five times and we've only been performing it for maybe four four semesters <laughs> so um, it, it changes often but for us it's just finding what works and what um, is the best for what our students are capable of and I think that right now at least i think we're in a really good place with the skits that we have we are we are looking into a couple of opportunities to tweak some more things down the road but overall that's kind of how our development process starts and uh, i think we work in tandem trying to figure out um, if things are a little stale and how we can make them better down the road or um, change it up maybe pull in a new skit and take out an old one we're always in the process of development and trying to make it the best show that we can, especially um, not only for the audience, but for the students as well. And just to give you a little perspective, we actually have a 200 page script and Tinkers and I, in the first couple, three weeks of class, will begin de deciding who will be in what parts of the skits and who will do what walk arounds. And then we have them in our regular class period in a large event center rehearsing those parts of the show and we just tell them get the skit down as it's on the paper and when you can show us you can do that then you can be creative but show us you can do the skit as it's written in the book and then we'll go from there yeah it's very much a um, kind of a theater-esque sort of development stage for them in the beginning we let them you know have their scripts in the start and for the first few rehearsals we say okay you can rely on this but at one point we're going to be off book and we expect you to um, know your role inside and out know where your mark is and everything that comes with that and I think that 
once they are comfortable and they've gone through their first show, then they get even a little bit more excited about their roles and what they can do with them. And then they'll come to us with ideas. Hey, what, can I do this? Can I do that? You know, um, and of course, some of them are a little a little too far out of the box, but you know, we rein them back in and we let them know that they're, we, we value their input and we will definitely uh, take that into consideration the next time that we perform. So what, so you divide up the 10 in, into like, maybe they each do a couple skits is that how that works or do they all need to know all the skits no, okay just, just their parts and on the very rare occasion we'll have um some sort of um issue with maybe somebody that's sick and can't come and then we do have people who will step up to the plate it's not really expected of them it's you know we don't say oh well you're going to be the alternate for this person we just right. say hey we we have this skit we don't want to take it out is there somebody here willing to take on this part and usually we have someone who is gung-ho and they're like of course i want to be on stage more let me do it you know right, exactly so, yeah, I know. We, we have them they're very supportive of each other and they help out quite a bit we do try and spread out the the juicy parts um, so that yeah. everyone pretty much has about the same amount of time in the show. Uh, it doesn't look like one student's being favored over another student. These two are probably relying on me to make a smooth transition. You mentioned um, Georgia Morris uh, providing some props and some other things, but I also know that she's part of a process that I just find incredible when it comes to costuming. And we talked about that earlier, but I'd like for you to share what your costuming process is for our audience. We have a date on the calendar every semester. Usually it's the first Friday of the semester and it's called costume fitting. And we tell students to meet us in Clown Alley at 9 a.m. Usually we recruit some former clowns to help out. And since we mentioned earlier, we have about 150 costumes, about 100 pairs of shoes. It's mayhem. Wait, wait, wait. Where, where did those come from, Brian? Well, I have to say, that I uh, purchased those on my own, mostly oh, my. through eBay. Uh, <laughs> many of them have been donated. So you're the one who gets the shoes before I get them. I'm sorry. He's like a hawk on eBay. You better watch sorry. out. <laughs> you can look. I'll give you a chance to, to buy them at a discount if I, if, if I have them. That's okay. Go ahead, Brian. And so it's a free-for-all as students try different costumes. Um, which ones fit, which ones don't, which ones they like, which ones they don't like. For me, it's very chaotic and Tinkers is very good at this moment because she likes that chaos. <laughs> <laughs> when a student thinks they kind of have the costume that they are settling on, it, it needs to get approved by Georgia and I. They stand before us in that costume and then as we deal with one student at a time, we'll then make sure we got the right shoes for that student, the right socks. We'll choose a wig and then decide on a wig color. We'll choose the nose. Then we go on to the next student. So over the course of three hours, we can outfit anywhere from six to 10 students. And I have to say that the transformation that usually happens once they're in that costume, in those shoes, under that wig, 
behind that nose, they start getting the idea of what it's going to feel like to be a clone. Yeah. And you start seeing their body movements change and they get sillier and the quiet ones get a little more outspoken. So their clown characters begin to start to develop right there in the costume fitting day. You just touched on something I wanted to ask you about. Do you talk about or discuss character development with the clowns as they evolve through your course? Thinking of our time constraints, two things I would say. We don't get hung up in white face, August, tramp, and specific roles that they can or can't play given mm -hmm. tradition. That's just a constraint that we don't have to, we just don't have time. Yeah. From a clown character standpoint, we just want them to be themselves. There's two camps. Either your clown character is an alter ego, someone very different from your person. And yet there's also the camp where being a clown is really just an extension of who you are, a more generous, a more sweet, a more outgoing side of who you really are. I happen to be in that camp, always have. Mm -hmm. So from a clown character standpoint, what we want them to be able to do is to physically perform the skits and the walk arounds in the show with a sense of clown as opposed to a distinct I'm very different from the clown next to me except when it comes to what roles are actually playing in the skit so we we try not to spend a lot of time on you have to develop a specific clown character I think we discourage things like um, uh, using different voices because it tends to um, kind of not always scare children, but not they just don't understand as much. Um, and if you just Thank come you. in, yeah, if you, if you, you. come into um, a space with a child and you talk like a, a regular human being, you take away that variable of them being confused about the situation, um, other than the fact that you look very different. And to them, you know, that's one facet for them to to kind of wrap their minds around instead of you your voice is also different and the way you walk talk you know all that kind of thing so we do discourage that a little bit but one of my favorite things is is watching students really want to be better and they they come with questions you know how how should i do this you know how should i act in this situation um, one of my favorite stories is <laughs> and uh he loves this but we had a student his name was rusty he was constantly asking me for tips about how he could be better. And he wanted to be the best clown that he could be. And he came to me one day and he just said, Tinkers, I just, I'm struggling. And I really just, I don't know how to approach children because I'm, you know, I'm so tall. And I, I wanna make sure that I have this connection with them without, you know, lording over them basically. So I just mentioned to him, I said, well, it's all, you know, a good, a good way to change that is how you stand. And so I taught, you know, how you can tuck your arms uh, underneath of, uh, or your hands underneath of your arms and you can kind of walk in almost like a duck waddle sort of, sort of thing and put your, point your toes out and um, bend over just from the waist. And I said, these are things that our character developments for you personally because then you have a specific silhouette you have a look and you're also being personal with these children and they think that you're funny and they will associate that with you and these students they take that kind of stuff and they run with it because they love the opportunity to be better they want to um, develop into a specific character they want to be known as rusty the clown and so for for them i think it's just the overall experience and how they can transition into being a student who is a clown to being a clown. And for them, it is a big difference. And I know it definitely was for me too. And I would say to that, you talk about character. For me, I want the students to have the capacity to have a one-on-one -on -one 
interaction that feels real, that feels magical, that the rest of the world disappears. And there are sounds like Rusty, like Scooper. When they're interacting with someone, the rest of the world disappears. And to me, those are the most magical moments that a clown can have. And we let the students look, tell them, look forward to those moments. Yeah. But some students, they have the capacity to have those moments four, five, six times in a single parade. Um, so from a character point of view, we just want them to create interactions with the public and not just to look good. Those moments are magical because that person will remember it. It could be for the rest of their life they'll remember that. I mean, I remember when I was young, a clown that was driving past us, and he just looked over just for a split second, but he made a connection with me, waved to me, and I will just never forget like how special that moment was just to be seen by that clown. And it was just something that I always take back with me when, when I try to tell people just kind of like what you are saying. The minute you put on your clown costume, your makeup, the minute I become jazzy is the moment that jazzy is there until she takes it off. So, you know, I try to tell people when you're taking your props or your show, your little suitcase, whatever, out of your car, there's eyes all around you that you don't know are there. Don't not be in your clown character, what that means to you. Just know that at any point, anywhere, somebody's going to be looking at you and you should be that person, your clown. Um, I remember going to a, like some kind of a grand opening at a, an apartment complex and I'm in my character getting my stuff. I had no idea until um, the lady that was running it the next day called me and she's like, you know, you really made an impression on this old woman that couldn't get out of her apartment was on the balcony and was watching you just move your things in and out in such a fun manner. You made her day and I just wanted to tell you that. And you're thinking, I had no idea she was up there. Like, you know, five stories up, had no idea, but you know, just be in that moment, be that person, make someone's day. That's what this is all about, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. And one of the reasons when we give giveaways, like in parades, we train our students to have interactions. Don't be a clown nose dispenser. Don't be a flyer dispenser, a sticker yeah. dispenser. Create an exchange with that other person that they will remember. And post for photos with their family because you'll end up on their refrigerator and you may stay on that refrigerator for 20 years. From a clown perspective, I discourage anything that's human. So I discourage earrings, discourage having personal purses with you. I discourage cell phones. Anything that makes them look human or breaks the image that they're a clown, I strongly discourage. Yeah, watches, things like that. And, and even fake, fake voices. I think like you're right, the, the fake voices are really hard to understand. A lot of times people talk way too fast and um, they miss, you're missing out on all of that. Maybe when you're working a puppet, that's the time you change your voice and learn how to do that. And so it's not like 
the two voices sound exactly the same. What's portraying from you is is your energy. And that I think is almost a requirement for a clown is it's not necessarily changing your voice, it's just bringing energy to your natural voice and, and making sure that they understand that what's about to happen is gonna completely blow your mind and clowns are gonna be the best thing that's ever happened to you from here on out. And so to, to that, I mean, you know, it's more or less just bringing that energy to your voice instead of changing it. These two are the perfect example of why you should always social distance. When you go to these schools and you see the children, is there any where the kids are immediately saying they're frightened? Yeah, if I can share this story, it's a big, big story that I like to tell. First of all, we train our students, our clowns, on how to deal with student with children who are experiencing the fear of clowns. And you, you know, as jazzy and and gunky, you know how to. You can see it in children and you can adjust your behavior and you can get bashful and you can get shy and you can hide behind things. But you also know when it's not working. So you just, we give our students permission to move to another area, just move. But you'll remember the whole scary clown thing that happened, I think it was Tinker's first semester. Yeah, 2016, yep. 2016, that whole summer was just filled with, and I had eight cancellations in my schedule for fall semester. And I had actually created the class with a couple early childhood educators. And I went to them and said, what do I do? And they're like, well, maybe you just not have the clown troupe this fall. And I'm like, but I got like 10 other bookings. So our first show that semester, I turned to my students behind the curtain and I said, I don't know how these uh, students are going to respond to you. So be on the lookout, be ready for anything. And we always do in the beginning of the show, we let the clowns go up into the alleys or aisleways and interact and say hello to some clown music. And Puddin' and Propeller go up this aisle and 50 students jumped out of their seats. And I gasped and they hugged them. And when I saw that occur, I knew this fear of clowns was an adult thing and not a child thing. So our general sense in schools is we've not had children who are afraid of clowns. If it looks like someone's nervous or is tearful, we'll look to a staff person, kind of point towards that student and they will remove that student for the student's well-being. But we just haven't experienced it. And yeah. we've been doing, we average about 15 shows a semester times 18. We just don't expect Right, now that's good. I feel like, at the maybe at the elementary age that is true i feel like once you get junior high high school it's very popular to be scared of the clowns and but they just want the focus and the attention right well that's that's the thing that we make sure that our students understand is that the fear of clowns in the older groups of students is is a play it's something that they think is cool it's cool to their friends to be afraid of clowns there's a lot of screaming that happens for some reason yeah. 
Right. And um, so we just teach them not to interact with those students because the more attention you bring to that, the worse it gets. So uh, most of the time, we of course don't go up into those grades uh, for our performances. We generally stay into the lower grade levels um, just because our show is tailored to them more. But right. when circumstances arise like that, they know how to handle themselves and they're aware that, you know, it's it's basically a ruse. They're just doing it to have fun and they just, you know, they want it to be cool. And because uh, you might you might experience that in a parade mm-hmm. right? yeah. on occasion. There are some some adults, actually, some um, even much older adults that you can clearly tell. And, and Dr. Bubby has mentioned this before uh, to the students. He said, if if someone is genuinely afraid of clowns, they will remove themselves from the situation. It is not something they're going to stick around for. Right. Um, so most of the time they will take care of the, the issue at hand and we won't have to deal with it. Um, and we respect that. We know what the boundaries are and we know um, that the students need to be taught those boundaries. And once they know them, they have no problem following them. And they understand that clowns are for some people and they're not for others. But we, generally we experience that most people enjoy the company of a clown because they want to, to laugh and they want to, we get a lot of clown make me laugh kind of statements. So um, we know that the, the atmosphere is out there, but we don't generally experience it as much. And we, we give the students several strategies. So for example, get down to their level, right? keep a safe distance, start interacting with the parent, find out the name of the child from the parent, point out something in the child's clothing that you like. So there's ways to warm up. And I have to say, one of the a young clown's greatest achievements might be that time they won over that really shy, almost fearful child through patience and persistence and space. And they will come back and when we check in at the end of the night, quite oftentimes the story they want to tell is that young child whom was afraid at first, but wanted a hug or an autograph at the end of the show. And to me, that's where clowning's at its best. Okay, we've made it through two segments of this interview. I hope you're still with us. Um, Really, you've only been listening for about an hour uh, and we've only got about 25 minutes or so left. So you've made it this far, just stick it out for the third segment, okay? Right? So there's more? Yes. That's awesome. I I was hoping there'd be more. There's more. Just when you thought it was safe to turn off your podcast, we have Uh -uh. more. (laughs) In our next episode, we're going to be talking with Brian and Alicia about the future of Mott Campus Clowns. Scheduling some shows, how they schedule the shows. Yeah, and I guess that's an involved process. Um, We also uh, briefly asked Brian, how did you get this program off the ground? How did you convince the college to go for a clown program. The other thing is we were going to um, find out what the Mott Campus clowns are doing during the pandemic. Ah. Yeah. yeah. What are they up to? Thanks for sticking with us for two segments. One more to go. You're a trooper. Thanks for hanging in there. <laughs> and thank you for listening to Schlepstick Conversations on Clowning with Gunky and our beautiful sidekick, who? Jazzy. And remember... Life is a circus. You're two-thirds of the way there, by the way. Just don't walk (laughs) behind the elephant.